Hello. Good morning. I'm Sammy, one of the pastors here at Pleasant Valley. And they got me. They got me to do this. Uh, um, Before we get started, I want to tell you about something very exciting. You know, we're going to Israel um, next year, um, June 2023. We're going to have the actual tour guide from Israel here at Pleasant Valley, July 24th. He's amazing. I've never been to Israel, but I've heard that he's awesome, very knowledgeable, amazing. He's going to be sharing with us, so you don't want to miss that, July 24th. want to welcome those watching online. Uh, It's great to have you. Thank you for being here. It's beautiful to be with other believers, with the body of Christ, with this beautiful church. A few years ago, I was in a country that is very hostile to the gospel and the church. You need a very special visa to get in, and it's not guaranteed. You can have your ticket ready to go, and a week before, the visa can come or not come, be denied. It's very difficult to get in. I had the opportunity to go, and I remember spending time with believers, having fellowship, eating great food, just hanging out, and we were having conversation, normal voice. You're, ah, you know, what's going on? Your church is growing. That's amazing. And somebody got saved and this person got healed. Oh, my goodness. And then all of a sudden, hey, but we need to uh, talk about this thing that we're going to do. And the first time it happened, I was like, why are we whispering? <laughs> <laughs> to that they said, because we're being watched and they're listening to our conversations. And I looked around and I was like, okay. (laughs) They're like, okay. In fact, very often, they have spies that infiltrate their their church gatherings to listen to their conversations, to see what they're teaching, if they're teaching like anti-government propaganda or something, just to know what what is being taught. And I heard so many stories of pastors being arrested in the dark of night, snatched from their families and their congregations, sent to prison camps, to jail, and many of them were never heard from again. So here where it all started. Acts 9, 1 to 2. We're going through the book of Acts. It's one of my favorites because it's the beginning of this whole thing. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. These are like arrest warrants. So that if he found any there who belong to the way, which is the early name of Christianity, because Jesus said, I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. They believe that Jesus is the only way. So they were, that was the early name for Christians. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Our first point is persecution with a purpose. Saul, we're introduced to Saul, had a front row seat to when Stephen was executed. And he gave his full approval of his killing. It says that the men that went to stone Stephen, they took their coats off and they, were, they put it, placed it in front of Saul. 
because they didn't want blood to get on them and they didn't want other people to walk away with their belongings. So that tells us that Saul was very, very well regarded and respected. After Stephen's death, persecution against Christians in Jerusalem was just really intensified, like Daniel and James talked about, to the point that it says in chapter 8 that all, all except the apostles scattered through Judea and Samaria. So everyone left except the 12. Everyone left town. And it wasn't enough for Saul to persecute Christians in Jerusalem if he actually make it, made it into other cities and other towns that the Christians were fleeing. So he was so passionate in this campaign to eradicate Christianity that he went to those lengths. Saul and the Jewish establishment in Jerusalem saw Christianity as a dangerous sect of heretics that needed to be stopped. Jesus is dead. We killed him, we crucified him, and he will be forgotten like any other false prophet. So they thought. They didn't believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, and he brought a new covenant. They didn't believe that he was the only one that lived it out perfectly and was the ultimate sacrifice for sin, and in turn, bringing a new covenant between man and God. But these new believers were preaching that Jesus rose from the dead and is actually the fulfillment of the law. No more sacrifices, no more burnt offerings, no more priests having to be the mediator between God and man. Now we have full access to the Father, but only through Jesus Christ. Amen? But they hated, they hated and rejected this message. They wanted to maintain control. I think we all have the tendency to be like the Pharisees. We want to maintain control. We want to keep our own, our old ways of living. So what happened to these Christians if they were arrested and brought back to Jerusalem? They will be imprisoned, for sure, tortured, whipped, flogged, some of them burned alive, many of them stoned like Stephen was. Death by stoning, I did some research, and I can, oh my goodness, um, it's very gruesome, painful, horrific death. You can imagine the sound of, of bones breaking, skin and flesh ripped apart, gashes, screams, blood everywhere. Another form of stoning in the historical uh, accounts says they will take the accused, throw them off a cliff or a, a hill, and throw uh, and roll um, a boulder down the hill to crush the person and finish the job down below. So this is what the early Christians are facing. This form of punishment 
was so terrifying that Christians left their homes. They fled as Christian refugees to other countries, all the way up to the north in Damascus, which is modern-day Syria. And if you have the, the map, which is around a six-day trip by foot. I actually literally took a picture of, my, of the map in my um, study Bible because I couldn't find a good, a good map on the Internet. But that's how they went from Jerusalem down here all the way through Samaria and to Damascus, about six days back then. But what, what were Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven? In Acts 1, 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They didn't stay quiet in the face of persecution and execution. They kept, they kept sharing the good news of the gospel wherever they went. That Jesus was crucified and he paid the penalty for our sins and rose again victorious on the third day, proving that he is who he said he is. And he is the Messiah they've been waiting for. He's the only way to God the Father. So it's happening. They're going to Samaria. They're going. They're sharing as they go but not without sacrifice. One of the early fathers of the church, Tertullian, wrote in the second century AD, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is where it all began. And guess what? It never stopped. And continues to this, to this day more than ever before. Listen to this. This is staggering. More than 70 million Christians have been martyred in the course of history. More than half were martyred in the 20th century. Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world today. According to the study of global Christianity, listen to this, 900,000 Christians have been martyred in the last decade, equating to 90,000 a year and one every six minutes. I bet you didn't hear that in the news, right? So by the time the service is over, around 12 people have been killed because of their faith in Jesus. Let's just think about that. But why was Saul so eager to travel to Damascus? All the way up north there in Damascus, another country. Hey, Saul, settle down. You know, I say that to my wife sometimes when we are in an argument. Never good. Never good. <laughs> Guys, don't do that. Don't do that. <clears throat> it never ends well. Hey, pastors are imperfect people too. Amen. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You drove them out of Jerusalem. Just leave these people alone. Why Damascus? Now, Damascus was important because it was a, a key commercial city in the Roman Empire. It had connections to all kinds of different cities and countries 
So Saul thought, hey, if I can stop them in Damascus, maybe I can just stop them from going to, to, for this message to spread to other countries and other cities. But he was so wrong. <laughs> this was part of God's plan from the beginning. To quote one of my favorite actors, Denzel Washington, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. I'm going to say it again. I think it's very important. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Perhaps if things were comfortable and easy in Jerusalem and they were accepted, hey, this new wave of, of, of Judaism with Jesus and rose from the dead, and you know, that's okay. You guys can, you guys can believe that. We're, we're, we, can co we can coexist. Maybe if things were like that, they wouldn't have been just forced to share the gospel on their own, to take it to other places. It's not just for the Jews. It's for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. Everyone needs to hear this. So God used this persecution to make them go and make disciples of all nations. And we are so thankful they did because we are here today because of those early Christians that say yes and even in the face of persecution, they went and shared the gospel. Don't we all need that today? To be just pushed out of our comfort zone? To share with those around us? I certainly are, I'm certainly stepping out of my huge comfort zone right now doing this. But he has given me some stuff to say and I just wanna share and, and I trust him that he will speak and he's speaking his words. So here goes Saul rushing to Damascus with his entourage. They're just ready, ready to go. And they're going. And here we go. It's go time. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, in Aramaic, in his mother tongue, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This really hit me. The word that, that hits me is why do you persecute me? Me. I think it's very profound that Jesus sees the, mis the persecution and mistreatment of believers as something done to him, himself. It's like when we, he said in Matthew 25, when you take care of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it unto me, good or bad, caring for those in need, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the hungry, the foreigner, those in jail. Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Okay, good. Go feed my sheep. That's how you really show me love, doing something for someone else. But why? Because we're not only his children, we are literally the body of Christ. He sees us as his own body to carry out his mission. You mock them, you're mocking me. You hit them, I feel it. You persecute them, you're persecuting me. 
For Jesus, this is not just a cliche or a slogan. He takes it very seriously. He takes you and me seriously because you and I are a part of him and he is a part of us. We'll come back to this later. Verse five. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Um, I'm not persecuting you. Who are you, sir? Who are you? Saul was like, Whoa, this must be someone really important to, to, and very powerful to stop me on my tracks. But I'm Saul. I'm in control. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a part of the elite. I'm the one who gives the orders. I'm on a mission. Who are you? So after Jesus gets his attention, he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Point two, we need a revelation. Wow, this, <laughs> this is an atomic bomb. What a revelation. I can imagine when this is happening, when, when Jesus said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting just like that. I can imagine Saul's life is flashing through, uh, before his eyes like a movie. He's thinking, I was born a Jew in Tarsus, educated in Greek, a Roman citizen, a Pharisee by conviction, studying the law under Gamaliel, one of the best in the world. Jesus crucified, stoning of Stephen, persecution, persecuting and killing Christians, and then boom! The resurrected Christ is speaking to him and is standing in front of him from a bright light, brighter than the sun. So powerful that it knocked him to the ground. Later in chapter 22, when Saul is giving his own account, this is Luke in, in Acts, but Later on, when he's giving his own account of this encounter with the risen Lord, in a mob in Jerusalem that was trying to kill him, by the way, he said, he said that that's what the voice that he heard is that he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. Jesus replied, my companions saw the light, but they didn't understand, they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. And then Saul actually said, what shall I do, Lord? So it's true. Jesus is the Son of God. The first evidence of true conversion and surrender to Christ is submission. Confessing him as Lord. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes, yes, it is true, and it is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You are the Lord, be the Lord of my life. You are the Lord Jesus. I'm under your command now. What do you want me to do? His conversion was immediate. Talk about a serious change of plans. He ran head on into Jesus and that road. God is always the pursuer. Jesus said in John 6, no one come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So it was so hard-headed and so convinced that he was, 
and uh, the right path that he was on God's mission to protect his religion. But Jesus was pursuing Saul. He knew that in order to confront this arrogant, zealous, self-righteous man, he had to do something dramatic to get his attention. Sometimes God has to shake us up to get our attention because we, he, we wouldn't pay attention any other way. Crisis comes with a purpose. We go through a terrible divorce, illness in the family, loss of a job, a tragic death, and it makes us realize that the only place that we have to go is to God. Luke doesn't record it here specifically, but in Saul's own words later on in a few different places, he testifies that he actually saw the risen Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, we won't read the whole thing, is the account of the different people that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead. And it's beautiful. We're going to jump in verse 6 when it says, Then he appeared, this is, this is Saul speaking later. Then he appeared to, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive. No wonder how, why so many people came to the Lord in those early days, especially because they saw the risen Christ. And even if they didn't see him personally, physically, they believed the testimony of those that saw him. Though some have fallen asleep and which have passed away, then, then, um, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Saul's burning bush moment, like Moses had. The resurrection of Jesus is essential to this whole thing. Saul needed to be convinced that Jesus actually rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still dead in your sin. This will be all in vain. We might as well pack our bags. You can sleep in, sleep in on Sunday mornings and not come to this place. We can sell this place. We can do whatever we want. But Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why we're here. Many of us had that moment when the lights came on, right? I will never forget when it happened to one of my friends, Joost uh, van den Brandt from Holland. When we were international students uh, back in the day, years and years ago, back in Richland Center, Wisconsin. Small town, some of you know. Beautiful town. That's when I first came to the U.S. as an international student. And there were students from all over the world. I'm talking Germany, from Holland, from Japan, from China. From me, I was the only Latin. Uh, I was the only black kid in the whole campus. Can you believe that? Um, I'm used to being the minority. So even from those days. But this tall, skinny, redhead Dutch guy. When he was picked up by his host family, it was a family from our church, Richmond Center Fellowship. The first thing he said, I'm not going to church. 
And, um, but he was curious. So he started coming to our young adults group. We had a great young adults group. That's where I met my wife, Billy. Awesome. And we just great discussions about everything, politics to evolution and creation and Jesus and the resurrection and all kinds of things. Clones. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff we talked about. And, um, but he was curious and he had great, great questions. So be careful when you're curious and checking things out. God, God is going to get you. He started coming to church. I'm like, I'm going to check out this church type things. Like, ah. And we could see some of us, um, we could see something was happening. But we were just praying for him. It was like, Lord, get him. Get him. Get him. And finally, we, every Sunday we had lunch at pastor's house. Uh, Mike Brenninger, guy that totally changed my life and it's been a huge, huge influence in my life. Um, we had lunch, a bunch of young adults would come to his house, we had fellowship, and, he, and after lunch, he started having, just asking questions about Jesus and blah, 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 and we're, and we're there. Mm. Ah, control, control yourself. <laughs> that was so beautiful. We, we, he was being like, pa, 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 asking questions. And then all of a sudden, he just was like, <sighs> I mean, this is an atheist, like hardcore, hardcore from Europe, hardcore. And he was like, <sighs> it is true. It is true. And, he's, and he, I was there and I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. And he started crying, and he said, like, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to give my life to you. And it was just, oh. his life changed dramatically from that moment on. And we were able to witness it. And later on, he went to Panama and to discipleship training school with YWAM, went back home, got used, and he went back a different man. It was amazing. And I know some of you, many of you here in this room have beautiful stories of how God can transform a life and change your life. So let's continue before I keep crying. Saul's still on the ground, all dusty. There's confusion, there's commotion going on. People don't know what's happening. What just happened? Verse 6, now get up and go into the city. This is Jesus. Yeah, the same city that you were going to go and raid and hunt down Christians. Yeah, that one. And you will be told what, must, what you must do. Then the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Before we can lead, we must learn to follow and follow his instructions. Because of the pure power of the brightness of Jesus, 
Saul fell to the ground and he lost his sight for three days. Just imagine how he's, how he's going to that city now. Just imagine. Instead of going all self-righteous, guns blazing, bah, 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 he's humbled and he has to be led by someone. How humbling this must have been for such a confident man, but so good, so good for him. I believe that there's no other words recorded here because I really think that he, Paul was just stunned. There was nothing else to say. He was processing, praying silently. I saw Jesus and he spoke to me. I saw Jesus and he spoke to me. He had a lot to think about in those three days. Later on in his ministry, he declares in Philippians 3, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord and Savior, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish. But he's not there yet, right? We got to remember the Saul was human. He was just rocked by this encounter with Jesus. He must have been thinking, now I lost my friends, my status, my reputation, my income. How am I going to live? Are Christians are going to accept me after all that I've done to them? What am I going to do? God's calling many times start in the dark. But we don't like that. We want things to be crystal clear before we jump and give our lives to Christ. We want to have all the answers or to do something he's calling us to do. But Jesus wants us to trust him and walk not by sight, but by faith. So we depend on him and not ourselves. When things are not completely clear yet, when those around us don't understand, even when we ourselves don't understand. Verse 7 says that those uh, from Saul's entourage heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. It, in, in Acts 22, it says that they heard the sound, but didn't hear the voice. It wasn't an audible voice to them. They didn't hear the message. Sometimes you're the only one in your family and your friends group that is following Jesus. The journey might feel lonely, but you're never alone. That's why it's so important to be a part of a community of believers. That's why one of the reasons Jesus instituted the church, so we can encourage each other and pray for each other and love on each other. So talking about community, let's continue. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. I love this guy. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord. He answered. It's very likely that Ananias was a Christian leader in that community, in that city that had come to faith in Christ, that was leading these newly converted Jews to, to Christianity in that city. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. This is actually, as I'm doing some research, this, this actually is the oldest continually occupied street in the world, and it still exists today. Isn't that cool? That's real cool. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. 
so beautiful that Saul is already having his chair time with the Lord. In a vision, he has seen a, a, a man named Ananias, which is you. Don't worry, I got everything all planned out. Come, because I'm already there with him, but I want to use you. And place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard, I've heard many reports about this man and all of the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. How do you think Ananias found out about this Saul and his plans and what's going on? There were no pay phones. Those still exist. I've never seen one in Winona. Um, there was no cell phones, no internet. There was no Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything else. No news outlets, outlets back then. So these Christians that fled Jerusalem, that made it to Damascus, they've been talking. People talk about what's going on. It's like, hey, things are getting really heated in Jerusalem, man. They killed one of our really dear brothers. They stoned him to death. And there's this zealous Pharisee, Saul, that is just persecuting Christians and arresting and killing our brothers and sisters. So we had to grab everything we could, leave our homes and everything we knew, and leave town and go up and come here. I was on a Zoom call a few weeks ago with the main leader for OM, Operation Mobilization, in Poland, right on the border with Ukraine. And she was telling me that um, their, their crisis response person, that the Ukrainian refugees, as they are crossing the border, they're eager to share what's going on, how their lives have been torn apart. And they're just looking for a ray of hope, someone to listen, someone to talk to. And OM is right there sharing the gospel, hearing their stories, giving them water, giving them, giving them food. People in these very difficult circumstances typically are eager to share. It's a way to process their trauma. So I'm sure Ananias heard Saul's reputation from these uh, Christian refugees that were in Damascus. But, what, but God was like, don't worry. I have my plan set in motion. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. As we will see in the subsequent chapters and throughout his life and his ministry, of course, I will show him how he must suffer for my name. But he must suffer for my name. That caught my eye. In other words, he's about to enter the fight for the souls of people. Suffering for the gospel, even unto death, wasn't a surprise for the early church. It was actually expected, like it's expected in many parts of the world today. It was, it was what they signed up for. It's what, what we signed up for. Suffering and, persecu and persecution will come sooner or later if we're following the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus. But it's important how we react and how we endure and how we react to those who persecute us and disagree with us. 
Do we respond in hate and bigotry or with grace and love? We are the body of Christ. But how did the body of Christ look like on the cross? It was horrific. It was unrecognizable. The accounts, the Bible says that he didn't even look human anymore. But we want to be a part of the glorified body of Christ club, don't we? The, the body of Christ that rose from the dead, that is glorified. We don't want to be a part of his body that was ridiculed, that was persecuted, that was beaten, that denied himself and was crucified out of love for humanity. Saul, in his own words later on in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's part of our new identity, beloved. It's his life, not mine. It's his body, not mine. We are his temple now. We live in, he lives in me, and he lives in you. It's no longer I who live, Lord. And it's not only the external struggles of what people think of us and, and persecution and, and sometimes death and all of that. It's denying our own flesh and desires, how we treat people, how we handle our finances, our relationships, our thought life. We are the body of Christ. But we need the Holy Spirit to live it out, right? We need the Holy Spirit. This is so, so convicting for me. I'm preaching to myself. You just get to hear it. <laughs> oh, God is speaking to you. I know that. Now let's see what happens when Ananias meets Saul. It's all awesome. Verse 17 Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, this must have been so huge for Saul. Brother Saul. Ananias is the first person to address Saul as a brother in Christ. You're part of the family. Welcome home. There is a common misconception because he's addressed here, Saul. Jesus said Saul. Obviously, he starts using Paul later, Apostle Paul. And there's a common misconception that Saul was the bad guy, the Pharisee that was persecuting Christians, and then Paul was the good Christian guy. And actually, Saul is the Jewish name, the Hebrew name, Paul. Paul is the Greek name. It's like me. My name is Samuel Elias Gondola Sprague. That's my name in Spanish. Samuel. My English name, obviously, is Samuel. People call me Sammy. So it's the same thing. It's just a different language. And one of the reasons later on 
Saul starts addressing himself and others start addressing him as Paul, was simply because he was, he was, that was his Greek name. He was appealing to the Gentiles. He started using Paul. We, we'll see that later. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry, all the, the other teachers. Sorry, I'm just, okay, I just wanted to make that clear. Um, <clears throat> Brother Saul, um, welcome home. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to me, and the road, as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales came, came down, fell from Saul's eyes. A miracle occurred right there. And he could see again. You're not spiritually blind anymore. Now you're free to see the truth. He got up. And I think of Saul being like, where's the nearest body of water? I need to make this public. Okay, take me to a river, take me to a pond, take me to a pool. I don't care. I need to make this public. And was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. The brother was very hungry. <laughs> Our final point, verse four, uh, point four. Only God can change the human heart. I also agree that when we accept Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit right there. Okay? But this is an unusual event, and it's not the norm. I believe that Saul received the Holy Spirit through Ananias placing his hands on him, like Jesus told him to do. It was kind of like a seal, a confirmation so other believers will know that, hey, Saul is legit. He accepted Jesus. He surrendered to him. He saw Jesus. He's been forgiven. He's a part of the family. He's been, he, he has accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And now has the power, has the power of the Holy Spirit to live this new life and to do what God called him to do. God has the power to reverse your past. God has the power to reverse your past. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You could say that Saul was a terrible, terrible candidate to come to Christ. And then used him in such a remarkable way. That guy really... Jesus, that guy. Christians are not going to accept him after all he's done to the church. You might have people in your life that you think, ha they will never come to Christ. They will never surrender to Jesus. There's no way. But you know what? Tell that to our brother Saul. Tell that to Saul. Our brother Saul is telling us this morning, don't give up. Keep praying. There's nothing impossible for God. If God could change this wretched man, he could change, he could change everyone. Anyone. Some of you right here right now are also watching online. You know that Jesus has been pursuing you. That he's been after you. You're conflicted. Your soul is in turmoil. No, you know you want to say yes to Jesus, but you feel like you're not worthy of his love. Your past, and even 
where you are today, right now. But Jesus is inviting you to finally open the door. To finally open the door. He already died for your sins. Present, past, present, and future. You believe in your heart that this is true. But it's time to confess. It's time to confess him as your Lord. And and surrender your life to him. Today is the day. I want to end with this and I want to have the band come. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus, please come to the side at the end of the service or right there where you are. You can say a simple prayer, a simple prayer. You can say, just confessing your sins, that you're a sinner and you need, and your need of forgiveness. Recognize that Jesus rose from the dead and he's the son of God. And invite him to be the Lord of your life. Years ago, some dear friends of mine, um, Matt and Sherry McPherson, wrote this very simple poem to accept Jesus. It's been translated into 90 countries all over the world. And it's a simple prayer to just say, Jesus, just come into my life. I accept you as my Lord. Since Jesus, you died upon a cross. If you believe this, this is what something you can say to him. Or you can also say it in your own words. Jesus, you died upon a cross and rose again to save the lost. Forgive me now of all my sin. Come be my savior, Lord and friend. Change my life and make it new. And help me, Lord, to live for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example of Saul. That no one is unreachable. No one is untouchable. Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you rose again, proving who and saying and and showing that you were who you said you were. I pray for those that are considering thinking about giving their lives to you. Draw them by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And show them the way. And give them the courage to surrender to you. It's the best decision they could ever make. Lord, I just also want to pray for the persecuted church all over the world. That you continue to encourage them. And strengthen them. And if it's your will, protect them. As they share your good news. Lord, give us the courage to continue to share and to be a light in this community and wherever you take us, Lord. We thank you for changing our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.